Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. At this moment in the service, actually, you can continue to use it because you can even look up some Bible passages that we might be looking at this morning in our sermon. Hey, welcome to Refuge. My name is Brenton. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here on the team at Refuge. And there are some ways that you can connect with life here. We have a thing called a Connect Card. And we talk about this, and just a few of you take advantage of this. And I want to implore you, even those of you watching online, to grab your phone. You can take a QR code scan of this. And your connection card is a way for us to let let us know that you were here. But also more than that, let us know how we can be praying for you. You can even tick a box there that says, hey, I want to grab coffee with a pastor, and I'm telling you, us on the pastoral team here at Refuge love to do that. So if you're interested in grabbing coffee with one of the pastors, um, just check that box. Just submit that quick form, just a few questions. Let us know that you are here again and uh, how we can figure out to be a blessing to you this coming week. Another cool way to connect with Life at Refuge is our weekly. This is kind of like our online version. If you've been to other churches, you know this phrase. It's called bulletin. This is our online paperless version of the bulletin. And it's helpful for us to save some money, save some trees, and also be available to you all throughout the week. You can always remember in your mind, if I go to refugeoc.com forward slash weekly, and you can get the most up-to-date information, including information about things that are happening at Refuge. For instance, if you grab one of those Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes out in the lobby on your way out, you'll have an opportunity to fill those shoe boxes. You probably have seen them around over the past few Christmases. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to pack a bunch of love into a shoe box based upon girls and boys in different age categories, and we submit them to a processing center that's local, and then they get shipped all throughout the world. The cool thing is, is after you fill it, you can go online, register, pay the $9 donation towards that box, and you can even get a scan code and follow your box all around the world, which I think is pretty cool. You can see where you packed it here in Orange County and where it may end up all around the world. So grab a box today, including this coming Wednesday night, our youth, our students in 7th through 12th grade are gathering for what they're calling Youth's Giving. When you run out of words, just make up your own. And so that's what they're happening this Wednesday night. And so they're going to have a youth uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And so students, if you've got students in that age category or you know friends and family that do, invite them to come on Wednesday because if nothing else, they're going to have a wonderful time eating together and hanging out. There's more information that you can find on the weekly about things coming up. But most importantly that I want to share with you this morning is an opportunity for you to bless some people all around the world with your giving. We talk about giving every single week here at Refuge because your generosity allows us to survive here in Orange County, here at this location, but you have been so generous that it extends throughout the world. We connect with missionary partners all around the world in different segments of the world, and this is a great opportunity for you to to be a part of the story of blessing that goes from Orange all around the world. Thank you for the ways that you give. You can give in multiple ways. I think there's some um, opportunities behind me on the screen. You can text to give. You can mail to a secure mailbox, a check if you still would like to do that. But the easiest and the safest and the cleanest is through the online app called Tithely. This is an opportunity for you to connect with giving here at Refuge. You just quickly sign up, and you can um, make it happen on a regular basis. The cool part about it is it almost is 
so convenient, much like we set up our regular monthly bills, things like, you know, Netflix or Spotify or Apple TV Plus or Disney Plus, you know, I know the game. We know what we give our money to. You can easily connect with regular giving a recurring basis here at Refuge. So I encourage you to sign up. If Refuge is a regular part of your life, consider even doing it the recurring way. So there you go. That's all I have to say about announcements. Now, if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And so that is where we're heading. Before we head to Hebrews chapter 10, that is the passage of the day that I've selected for us to deal with. It comes from the lectionary. We follow the lectionary guidelines. We are in the last two Sundays of the year. And I know you're sounding like, wait a second, we've got until the end of December. But for the lectionary calendar, the church calendar, that's this fancy way of saying church, the church calendar ends next Sunday. So if you want to start a new year soon, come back on November 28th because that's when Advent begins. And the season of Advent begins the church calendar every single year. And so we will start the new calendar on November 28th. But today and next Sunday are the last two Sundays of the church calendar. And Hebrews is where we're at today. But how do we get there? 11 days ago, I got an email from a student who attends Refuge who had a problem. He attends a Christian school, and he had a question from one of his Bible classes, and the question goes like this, and I think I've got it on the screen for you. What is the element of the temple in Exodus 27, 1 through 8, and its purpose? And can you describe the typology of the element? Forgot a question mark. I apologize. You're mad at me. I got this question in the email, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Everyone loves a good temple talk or perhaps tabernacle talk, which is more about what Exodus 27 is all about. So I wanted to meet the teacher and be like, it's not the temple, it's the tabernacle. Why are you calling it the temple? I didn't go there, but I said, okay, I'll help because you're right. There's something happening in Exodus 27, 1 through 8 that we've got to know about. So in order for us to do this, let's look at a diagram of the tabernacle, and I've got it up on the screen right here. You can see in the upper right corner a scaled version of what an American football field would look like in size and then what that would look like in comparison to the tabernacle zoning and diagram that we have this morning. There's different elements to the tabernacle. You can see how it, it was called back in the old days in the Old Testament a tent of meeting. So regardless of where the Israelites, the Hebrew people, after they left Egypt, after they got out of slavery, after Moses crossed the Red Sea with them and they're wandering the desert, they would always set up these tents of meeting wherever they were. So it would be marked out in the rectangular with the outer um, perimeter, and then you would set the tent inside, and you would have other elements within the tabernacle section. I got excited about this question that came from the student that week because I'm like, oh, this is it. Because Exodus 27, 1 through 8 says this. If we look at it, I think it comes on the screen next. Exodus 27 says, Build an altar of acacia wood three cubits high. Got that? Three cubits. Everyone's been measuring in cubits lately. It is to be square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. And if you drop down to verse 6, this is what is said. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the rings so they will be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. Why does it need to be carried? Because they're constantly picking up and moving camp. That's what the Israelites did as they traversed the terrain of the desert. This is the tabernacle. So when the student at Refuge who emailed me this question is trying to figure out what's the point of the altar? 
Now, let's look at the altar. Someone actually set up a life-size version of the tabernacle. You can go visit it today if you so please. Here's what it looks like on the outside. Here's where the actual altar would have been in terms of placement in, uh, in relation to the tabernacle itself behind the tent of meeting. If you go to the next image, you can see that there's another angle of it. There's the altars on the far left of our, our screen. You can see the wash basin right there uh, in the middle between the altar and the tabernacle tent. And you get to wash yourself before you head into the tabernacle. Many of you have been wondering, what was this like? And so this is why I'm doing this lesson for you today. No? Okay. Yeah. I love the fact that you can go visit this place. And this is not the real tabernacle. How do I know this? Because another image, I think that's the next one, shows us there's like an RV on the outside of the entire encampment. You can go to this place. Today, these are real pictures, but these people just put up a life-size version of what it would look like, and then they're like maybe have like an RV park outside. I think it's pretty cool. We can go visit it. We, we should do a church camping trip to the tabernacle. What do you guys think? I think that would be rad. So back to the tabernacle, and we go to the next image, and this is the image that we see. This is what you would have encountered as you entered the entire tabernacle encampment. Remember, you and your family do not live in this area. You live off property beyond the border. You and your family live in a tent because you're constantly picking up your tent and moving to the next place that God showed the Israelites. This happened for 40 years. And so when the question came to me from this student who attends refuge in his Bible class at his Christian high school, what's the point of the, the altar? And what's the significance of the altar? Well, the altar is where you would go and perform your sacrifices. Well, you wouldn't perform them. The priest would. The priests in the Old Testament times were butchers. Literally, that's what they did. They did not give sermons. Most of them never said a word. You would come with the animal that was needed for the sacrifice that you had to have. They would take your animal to the altar. They would do the appropriate butchering of said animal. They would take the parts that needed to be burned on the altar, and they would give you the rest of the parts to go back to your tent and celebrate with your family. So not as bad as it sounds. It sounds like a giant camp out and cookout to me. So the priests are constantly working day in and day out. And the priests were a segment of the population known as the Levites. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Lots of information today. There'll be a pop quiz at the end. Um, 12 tribes of Israel. One of the tribes of Israel were the Levites, and these were the priests. You were given your temple or tabernacle assignment for the year, and you wouldn't be there for 12 months. It was just a small portion of time, but you would rotate. It was almost like your shift was up, kind of like reserves in the military. You think, right, I've got to go do my uh, one week in a month or my one week during the summer. I've got to do my thing. This is what it was like to be a priest. And so the priest would receive your animal, do the sacrifice, you would take the rest of the animal parts, go have a barbecue with your family, and because of that action, you would be pronounced clean. In spite of everything that had been happening in your life this past year, if you had done the sacrifice, you would be pronounced clean. The only way that you can get, get to the tent is if you bring the sacrifice. And even the Israelites figured out a way kind of even give an, an image of representation for the people. Not everybody could go inside the tent. It was just the priest. And there's a one segment of the tent called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest got to go there. 
There's only one of them at any time. And he was the one who would go in one time a year to make the special day of atonement sacrifice before God, atoning for all the sins of the people. So what's the point of the altar? Is it just a place that they needed, like, barbecue some food? But if you look at it through the lens of what we know from the New Testament, the altar has major significance. So how do we get there? Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is one of the New Testament books. Kind of comes in between the Gospels and not all the way quite to the end where Revelation's at. But it's in that second half of the New Testament. You can use your table of contents if you need to know how to get there. But Hebrews chapter 10. We actually don't know who the writer or the author of Hebrews is. Whoever she was, she was pretty smart. Could have been a female. Could have been a male. We don't know exactly But there's some great wisdom being dropped left and right from the book of Hebrews. But for the writer of Hebrews, this person is saying that everything has changed because of what Jesus did. The entire life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. And so when we drop into today's passage, which is just, it's two segments. It's verses 11 through 14, and then verses 19 through 25. This is what is said from the writer of Hebrews And remember the backdrop of the tabernacle, the altar, the sacrifices to be made as we read this together. Actually, I'll just read it. You don't have to read with me. I know you got really nervous there for a second. Okay, verse 11 is where we begin. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's just kind of starting place. He's giving the example, and the backdrop is definitely the tabernacle or even the temple. You move to verse 12. But when this priest, and I'm just going to tell you because you might have been reading Hebrews 1 through 9 last night, but you know this to be true. When he says this priest, he's talking about Jesus. So verse 12, but when this priest, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The image before we move on. It's interesting that Jesus would sit down. You and I, we might go to an office at times. We might sit at our desk. Some of us get a lot of work done when we're sitting next to our computer, no doubt. We're just getting life done. So the imagery that Jesus is sitting down is not for a place of work. It's actually for a place of actually the job's complete. Because prior to the invention of the computer where we were just tied to a desk all the time, People worked by standing up. You would work in the field. You would work out all the time by standing up. And so when you sat down, it was because work was finally complete. Jesus is not sitting down because he's tired. He's sitting down because it's done. And remember, there's a a difference between what was mentioned in verse 11, that the priests stand and perform their duties day in and day out. But Jesus sits 
because his job is done. And even the imagery of the footstool, where the enemies will be under the footstool, is an interesting one, but it comes from Psalm 110 back in the Old Testament. And the imagery is that there's going to come a day that after God has done everything, the enemies of God, the enemies of Jesus, of Jesus' kingdom, will no longer be, and they will be just under his footstool, which is interesting. There's other imagery that we have from Romans chapter 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There's even imagery, you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, when everything went bad, when Adam and Eve sinned and they got kicked out of the garden. There's this place that says that Satan will constantly be going after your heels while you work. And God's saying, there's going to come a time where all the enemies of God are under my footstool. So that's the setting of the scene. Jesus is the one who has made the final sacrifice. He's the one who's done the job. He's the one who's gotten the work done. And the writer of Hebrews is like, so what do we do now? If we drop down to verse 19, we continue reading. This is what he says, or she. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since most, since we have confidence, excuse me, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And the day is capitalized there because it's not just any day, it's the day of the Lord that's coming. But the interesting thing about the day of the Lord, it has multiple realities. The day of the Lord was the moment when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the grave. That's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is also a present reality because we are making it known as his followers and bringing his kingdom to bear in this world that is not right yet. So there's a day that is happening, but there's also a day that is coming. So it is past, it is present, and it is future reality. There's a day that is coming where it's going to get fixed. Everything's going to be great. We don't all know how it's going to happen, but we trust in a God who put the entire world together and is saying there's going to come a day when it's going to be fixed. How do I understand this reality? Well, another story. Last night, I began to watch a TV series that has shaped my life for 20 years. This year it turned 20, which makes me sound very old. I'm not 20, but I started watching it 20 years ago. It's an HBO TV series called Band of Brothers. I love this one. It's all about World War II. It's about Easy Company. It's about the men of Easy Company who dropped into France, on D-Day, behind enemy lines as a part of the paratroop infantry regiment of the Airborne Division of, of the Army at that time. They drop in. They do their thing. So I started watching this with my son last night, and he's almost 13, and I'm trying to figure out what is too much, what do I have to guard him, but I want him to understand what was done back then. 
Now, this passage makes sense to me because if we talk about the day of the Lord that's going to come one day, it's not unlike our veterans who fought, and we just had Veterans Day, and we should honor the sacrifices that have been made. But it's not unlike our veterans on D-Day who land at the beaches of Normandy, who are on the advance of the, against the Axis powers, and know that eventually, because we know history and we can look back at things and know that there's going to become another day called VE Day, Victory in Europe. So we got D-Day over here, and we've got Victory in Europe Day over here. But there's a lot of battles to be fought in between. We know that. It's years. It's not even like a week or two or months, if you will. There's years between D-Day and VE Day. This is the difference that we understand between what Jesus did on the cross then and the, the day of the Lord that's coming. There's a lot of battles still to be fought. There's a lot of battles within our souls, within our minds, about finding our purpose and our value and our identity in Christ. Because the world that you and I live in is a regular, everyday kind of world, but sometimes it's hard to figure out, how do I make sense of what God's doing at this time? Because it seemed like it's all bad. But remember, we had the cross over here, and we have the understanding that the day of the Lord is coming, but there's a lot of things in between. That is where we live today. So for the writer of Hebrews who tells us the story that you don't need to go to the altar that was before the tabernacle or the altar before the temple anymore and sacrifice any animals to have an atonement for your sins. You actually no longer need that entire system. So the writer of Hebrews is saying there's no need to go sacrifice any animals, which would have messed up the day back then. Could you imagine being a farmer when they figured out electricity and, and like gas-powered engine? It would change everything. You get so much more done so much more quickly. Not unlike the day when the entire sacrificial system was canceled in Israel. And I bet there were a lot of Jews who were turning to themselves and wondering, well, what do we do now? Because our entire life was built about this trip to Jerusalem that we would take on an annual basis, bring the needed animals to bear so that they could sacrifice for our sins and atone for our guilt. What do we do if we don't have the sacrifice system? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, we've got a high priest. We've got the ultimate sacrifice, and the day of the Lord is coming. So what do we do in between? Here's what we do. And it happens towards the end of what we read. If you go back to verse 23, just the last three verses of our section today. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Sounds very flowery, sounds nice, but what does that mean? I'm challenged by two phrases. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Just hold that one in your mind on the left. And then the other one is, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Something pretty powerful, we hold that one over here on the right, of meeting together. And you're like, you're a pastor, this is your day job, I know what you're trying to do, you're just trying to guilt me into church attendance. And you're right, I am. 
For those of you online, I am. Just kidding. The idea of meeting together actually brings value to our souls. Because I need to be around other people. Not because I'm an extrovert by nature. And I don't care if you would veer towards the introvert side of the scale. You still need people to reflect the goodness of God in your life. Sometimes there are necessary moments that happen on Sundays. There are necessary moments that happen over coffee or a meal or a hangout time with other Christians and believers to be reflected of God's kingdom in the midst of all the hell that we experience. Because remember, the cross is here and the day of the Lord is here on the timeline. But there's a lot of junk in between. And we have got to fight the battles that are before us and we fight them better when we're together. We fight them better when I know what you're going through and you know what I'm going through. So that I don't walk this world alone. I need other people. And again, it's not because I'm an extrovert. It's because the kingdom was built in such a way that we are made for community. We are made to know one another's stuff. And church is not a place that we put our best on and pretend that everything's fine. Church is actually a place that we come and we are honest with ourselves, with one another, and with God to say it's not all fine right now. And I need you to remind me that it's going to get better when we approach the day of the Lord. So let us not stop meeting together. So we're not going to do that. But I also implore you to continue to lean into community more than you ever have. This is a crazy time in our world. We have lived at distance with one another for too long. Let us. Engage one another with the community that God and even the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And go back to that first statement that I had you hold over here on the left side. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That is not my default. What do you mean? Well, if you look at the world that we live in, most of the time, I will love to hear what's going on in your life and begin to hate the people that have affected you. That's what I'm actually more, um, more accustomed to. I hear the junk of your life, and I'm like, yeah, 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 let's go get them. Yeah, 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 you should totally say that on Facebook. That will fix it. Yes, they are bad people. That is not spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. So the challenge for us as followers of Jesus, and I don't know where you find yourself on that journey, and you don't have to be perfect about it, but in the sense of going on this journey together is let us, let us be the people here at Refuge in every church in this community and around the world be a community of the King that gathers together regularly, that reminds us that God is still on the throne, that he is still good in the midst of everything that we face. And let me spur you on towards good. But what we sense today in the world is that when we gather, regardless of the gathering, we gather for bitterness. We gather to just think about what's wrong with this place. There's some good, there's some healthy distance of like, yeah, we should be honest that it's not all great. Yes, that's fine. But I got to tell you that bitterness creeps in a whole lot easier into the conversations that I get to be a part of than anything else. So when the writer of Hebrews is saying, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that seems like a foreign concept. But that is exactly where the king wants us. That is exactly where we are called to in community. That this world that we live in, whether it be here in Orange County or somewhere else, 
is still needing the king and his people to be committed to love and good deeds. So this coming week, you will have an opportunity for this to be true. No program that we're offering here, but I guarantee you, you will leave this place and something will happen and you will be on the verge of bitterness. You will begin to complain. You will begin to, in your heart, well up with this place is terrible. And the king is saying, how do you spur one another on towards love and good deeds? How do we know one another so well that I can reflect God's kingdom towards you and I can remind you of all that he has in store as we consider what the king is calling us to. May we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. May we stop avoiding one another and may we lean into community more than ever because that is what the king is calling us to. So what's the point? If we go back to that original question that I got from that student that day, it's on the screen if you got it there in the black background. got me there we go i didn't remember it just off the top of my head here we go what is the element of the temple in exodus 27 1 through 8 and its purpose and can you describe the typology of that element so next time you're on jeopardy and this comes your way you know how to answer the reason that the altar was there was so that people could sacrifice for their sins to approach god but we have confidence today that god is approachable because of the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and the coming day of the Lord that we are looking towards. But remember, in between those two events, the king is still on the move, but he gives us access to God because of the price he's paid and what he's calling us towards. So this week, when you lean towards bitterness, may you find others that will spur you on towards love and good deeds. When you are tempted to have the last word, you know, the mic drop moment where you can't wait to say that thing that's going to finally fix that person. It's not, believe me, I've tried, it doesn't work. How will you be spurred towards love and good deeds? May you be on the lookout for what the king is up to and how he wants to use you to bring about his kingdom and to bring about the day of the Lord that is quickly approaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning because you are amazing and awesome. But God, we also take stock of our lives knowing full well that everything is not fine and dandy. For some of us, it is extremely hard right now. And when the world would bend us towards the arc of bitterness, help us to gather with one another so that we can be spurred on towards love and good deeds. This is not just flowery language for ourselves, Heavenly Father. It is flowery language that is deep within our soul that moves us towards your kingdom in a powerful way. Help us understand fully the sacrifice that you have paid that gives us access to God the Father. And oh, Holy Father, would you accept us as your sons and daughters and remind us of our place in your kingdom. Help us to see things differently this week because of the price that you have paid. 
Help us to engage you more fully in the ways and the words that we use and the actions that we do. We want our lives to change. We want them to get better. The same is true for you. But you have a heart for this world that we can't even get a glimpse of yet. But may we see this world better this week than we did this past week. And may we remind one another the king is not dead, the sacrifice has been paid, and oh, the day of the Lord is coming. What a beautiful day that will be. But so is today. Today is a great place to start. May you start within me and us here at Refuge to shape this community that we've been called to and the world that we want to bless because it's in your name that we do those things. And we ask all of it for the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, would you stand? Because we have been called into a place of worship because of what the King has done, I want you to worship with our, our team this morning.
you seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me found? You chase me down, you seek me Tired away, crushing over me, rushing in to meet me. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't escape. Tearing through the atmosphere, your love is fierce, like a tidal away, crushing over me. May you experience the fierce love of God for you. May it change everything about your week this week. The conversations that you have, the situations you are in, the temptations you have towards bitterness, may the fierceness of God's love bend your arc back towards the kingdom. And may you see the world change this week because of what you have been called to, because of what we have an opportunity to do for the world that needs God so desperately. Peace be with you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday for the very last Sunday of the lectionary calendar. I know you're excited. I can see it on your faces. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.